Carnival, Main Street, called Main Street, movie theater with a marquee, some place where I could get all of my aging out of the way in my early thirties and live without crises or surprises, changing only incrementally for the rest of my allotted threescore and ten. I hadn't really thought of becoming a journalist, mostly because I didn't really understand how one did it. I had turned out a few music and book reviews for my college paper, mainly for the free books and CDs. I would read or listen to something, write a couple hundred words about it, and a week later I'd see my name above some prose that bore a passing resemblance to what I had written. A racket, not a career. After graduation, I had stayed on in the same apartment I lived in during the year. I had no reason to be anywhere else. A month into that stagnant summer, I declined my father's offer-slash-mandate to work as a paralegal at his friend's law firm in Indianapolis, where my father had moved after my parents finally split. He made me feel so guilty about not having a job that I went, for the first and only time, to Wickenden's Career Promotion Center. There I filled out questionnaire after questionnaire, and I talked to chipper recent grads with sweater sets and pearl necklaces, loafers, and the beginnings of beer guts. I looked through job ads that made no sense. My favorites were from the consulting firms. You will learn to implement strategic management protocol decisions, etc. I worried that I would turn into some sort of cyborg after three weeks at one of these places. I would return home for my first Thanksgiving and communicate via streams of ticker tape issuing from my mouth. After a couple of hours of career promoting, I felt certain that I would live a long, lonely, useless life and die alone and unmissed. Did I mention that I never bothered filling out any grad school applications? It's self-indulgent, I know, but this is what happens to the overachieving but essentially useless children of parents who raised their children to do well on tests but failed to equip them with the poison-tipped spurs of true ambition. Art Rowland called career promotion as I was getting ready to trudge home and maintain a full schedule of feeling sorry for myself. I remember watching the face of my career finder become radiant, just beatific, as she nodded with increasing excitement and finally said into the phone, Sir, I think I have someone for you sitting right across from me. He's not from the college paper, but his Gibson Montano scores indicate that he might be a really, really good fit for you. She winked twitchily at me and handed me the phone with one hand while making a 1983 vintage thumbs-up sign with the other. I said hello, and this drawly growl in the earpiece said, Well, I hear those Gibbon-Martindale numbers of yours are really adding up. But here's what I want to know. What do they mean? And can you write? I tucked the phone into my chest and turned away from my career finder's blinding enthusiasm. Well, I don't really know what they mean, to tell you the truth. They seem to put some stock in them here, I guess. And technically, I'm not from the college paper. I wrote for them every so often. I guess I can write well enough. Where is it you're calling from? Lincoln, Connecticut. About two hours west of Wickenden. I run a small weekly paper here, about 16 pages. What I need is another full-time, little-bit-of-everything kind of person. 
Right now, it's just me and a columnist, and we got an ad lady. The other full-timer we had just left. Got a job in stores. Greener pastures, I guess. Anyway, you do a little reporting, little writing, little editing, little paper shuffling, some office work. I heard the muffled hoosh of a cigarette being smoked. Some phone answering, but no more than anyone else. Nothing fancy. No Woodstein stuff. Maybe a way to see if you want to do something like this or not. I shrugged, then remembered that shrugs don't translate over the phone. Sounds interesting. Sure. You want me to send you my resume? Yeah, do that. But do me a favor. Send it by mail. My new fax machine's having some trouble making it from the box to the desk, and I'd rather see a hard copy than something on the computer screen. You do that? Sure, no problem. Should I come out and see you? Do you want to interview me or anything like that? I thought that's what we were doing. For now, just send your stuff up here. My name's Art Rowland, by the way. Send it to my attention. Resume and a few writing samples. We'll go from there. Sound okay? It sounded fine, and 16 months later, here I was in Lincoln, hauling myself out of bed at the crack of 10 on a chilly Tuesday morning. I had stayed at the printing press until all the papers rolled off at 3 a.m. Art liked one of us to stay at the printers until the job was done, and technically the duty was supposed to rotate among the four of us on staff. But as I was the youngest and the only one who wasn't married, it fell to me more often than not. I didn't mind, really. The drive back from New Haven at that hour was always fast and peaceful, and I liked the smell of the air late at night. Strange to think of what was happening back in sleepy Lincoln during that particular drive. I suppose I won't ever know exactly. I lived in the commercial part of town called Lincoln Station, where in the 1920s, when this was a real farming village instead of an escape from New York, trains brought grain and feed in and took butter, milk, and cheese out. Cute little stores with actual green patches of lawn behind actual white picket fences now filled the area of the old train depot. The paper's offices were in the town's residential section, which was called Lincoln Common because my Brooklyn eyes couldn't believe it when I first moved here. At its center was an expanse of lawn in front of an old white wooden church with a steeple. The Village Common. Of course, the number of people who observed that distinction decreased yearly as Lincoln natives died or sold the houses their grandparents had built to lawyers and magazine editors from the city. The newcomers gutted and colonnaded the houses, then showed up three weekends a year to barrel through town in their SUVs. Manton's general store now stocked chevre, five kinds of olives, and took the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Cranes. Of course, I was a newcomer myself, but I had a rickety little compact, no life elsewhere, and, rarest of all honors, I was a friend of Townies, the Rowlands. Anyway, I'm temperamentally inclined to talk about the good, or at least better, old days. I feel nostalgic for every era that preceded my birth.
as I walked into the newsroom, a kind of self-conscious exaggeration for what was essentially an insulated garden shed with four desks and four computers. That afternoon at one, Art was at his desk smoking and reading the Times. Glance, puff, turn the page. Puff, glance, puff, turn the page. Puff. There he is, he said, not even looking up when I shut the door behind me. Bright and early. Now he looked pointedly at me over the tops of his reading glasses. The room smelled like cigarettes and perfume. Art was responsible for the first, but the last belonged to Nancy Llewellyn, who sold our ads and ensured, as best she could, that we didn't go broke. Like Art, she was a lifelong townie, and according to Mrs. Rowland, she had nurtured a low-level, harmless crush on Art since the seventh grade. I sniffed ostentatiously, and Art laughed. She stopped by earlier to pick up some reading, she said, for her vacation. You imagine that? Taking work from a carrier with her? Dedication. He puffed, closed the front section, and reached for the sports. Got a call from the panda a little earlier. Who's the panda? He laced his hands behind his head and looked out the long window toward Lake Massapah, cigarette in the corner of his mouth. I loved the way Art smoked with a quiet, straightforward satisfaction instead of either the furtive guilt so common among older smokers or the forced, noisy, almost defensive pleasure of teenage and Californian smokers. He smoked because he smoked, not to prove a point and not shameful.